Gather round cause we're here at Dreamland with none other than Cole Schaefer himself. We're talking about the stuff that stirs your soul and keeps you up late at night. At Dreamland, we sit down with Grammy-winning producers, James Beard award-winning chefs and New York Times best-selling authors as they divulge the processes they've used to turn their dreams into the kind of creative work that's shaping culture as we know it. Buckle up because this is no ordinary show. There will be fire, spilt milk, and more than a few surprises as we discover what it means to be creative at Dreamland. Ted Drew's order. Oh, this guy. Oh, my God. I can't believe you just said that. Uh, yeah, I think the turtle concrete. The turtle concrete. The turtle concrete. Yeah, I think every time I go, I get the turtle concrete. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Damn, that's a blast from the past. Yeah. I actually just took my wife there two years ago. It was the first time she went to Ted Drew's. And it's now at the airport in St. Louis, they got it even. Damn. Um, but yeah, she was like, what is this? This is dangerous. I'm like, I know. It's it's fucked up, man. It's, it's super fucked up. It is so good. <laughs> it's beyond good. So yeah. good. And I don't, and like, I'm not big on milk because it gives me a stomach ache, but so, I don't even care. Yeah. I'm like, and something about that doesn't give me a stomach ache. Sign, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, shit, I'm surprised they aren't doing like oat milk and stuff now. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. I know. But they're like, now we got to keep it like those Midwestern cows pumping that lactose i actually had no idea you were a midwestern kid oh yeah yeah, yeah no I'm, i grew up in indiana yeah yeah so we're on the same page yeah yeah i love the midwest gotta say you do yeah okay cool i feel most comfortable on central time on central time yeah yeah, yeah. and i and i know like uh you kind of had a semi rough upbringing in st louis or maybe not the best experience but was there any redeemable qualities about st louis or like any fond memories while living there. Well, I mean, I think the best, number one best thing about St. Louis uh, is that there's not a lot going on. So as a kid uh, and as a creative kid, you got a lot of time to create, you know, and not get distracted by things that maybe like an L.A. type of kid we get distracted about. Yeah. You know, like there's there's not a big um, culture uh, sort of, you know, like a... Um, like in LA, you've got like the fast lane culture. You know, you don't have the fast lane culture in a place like St. Louis, which is good, yeah. I think, you know, yeah. for a creative kid. So you you're know? bored a lot. You're bored a lot. And that boredom leads to breakthroughs that I think uh, are important to sort of discover in yourself. What was your what was your biggest breakthrough while there? Um, I would say I I would say my mother one time pulled me out of school. And I wasn't happy about it because I liked being amongst community, you know? And I felt like if I'm at home getting homeschooled or just at home learning, I'm not amongst any sort of community. I, I can't figure out, you know, what that type of person is or that type of person is if I'm just like innered, you know? Um, so, but one time she did pull me out and it was like six months. And th that six months was my breakthrough because. I would do my schoolwork and then my schoolwork would be done in like two or three hours where a normal school day was like eight hours. And after those three hours were done, I would just sit in my room and write song. I've never learned a song before. Um, I, I can't figure them out. 
my ears weird like that. Uh, so I would sit and like listen to Nirvana and sort of like a lot of the grunge bands and then turn it off and then mimic it with writing my own songs. And so that period when she pulled me out is when I wrote my very first songs that led me down the path of just wanting to do music really, you know? Wow. Uh, Cause at that point I didn't even have a guitar and uh, I had this um, kind of like a ukulele yeah. looking thing. Yeah. Um, and I would just do it on that. And then my mom saw that I had ADD but she saw that I was razor sharp focused and she's like, Oh, I'm gonna get you a guitar because it feels like it's controlling the, the sway of like the unfocusedness. And so she bought me that and that kind of launched me getting, wanting to be in doing music, you know? Yeah. Do you still write songs like that where you, you start with the lyrics? Yes. Every, everything. I don't think I've ever written a song. I don't think I've actually ever written a song where I've been starting with the lyrics. Um, what I do is I just journal and then in my journal, I just put them all on the ground. And then the stuff that I like, I just start kind of coming up with something to that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. that's rad. Yeah. I've never, I, don't th- I don't know. I don't think a lot of people do that. Yeah. I yeah. feel like a lot of people, you know, will find a, a chord progression or whatever and right. then start doing something to it. Yeah. For me, it's like, I don't care how cool the music sounds or the treatment of the production or whatever. If, if like the lyric doesn't, move me for good or bad, even if I hate the lyrics, is is doing something, then um, I'm not kind of not into it. Yeah. You know, it's just not my, I feel like and in this day and age, music I feel like kind of has flipped way more towards that yeah. lyric, lyrically driven from the biggest pop stuff to like the most coolest indie to hip hop. I actually feel like hip hop is responsible for that resurrection yeah. because the lyrical focus is what hip hop is, you know? Um, and then, the track is like the icing on the cake, you know, where for a long time in, in indie rock and like kind of the zone that I was in, it was almost like the track was what you focused on and the lyric was second fiddle. And, and now it's not the case anymore, which is great. Cause I don't write like that myself, you know? So it's great to see like peers and people that I work with, like doing that approach. Yeah. You know? And for you, is it, it, are you thinking about trying to really tell a story with a song or is it more just, uh, great wordplay. Like what, what makes a great lyric to you? I think it's both really. Um, you know, there's purists who, you know, would say, you know, contrary to that, but I think it's, I think it's both because I don't, I think you could, my goal as I get older is to tell great stories, I think. Um, but you know, a, a good riddle type of song to me, uh, like in a Kurt Cobain style. Yeah is genius Mm -hmm. you know if you can they're both genius you know i mean if you can if you can come up with massively pop popular song like you know smells like teen spirit which is like a riddle one long riddle uh that's as powerful as coming up with you know anything that leonard cohen ever wrote i kind of got introduced to um you know leonard cohen chris christopherson jim croce like later in life and it hearing kind of the stories i i was like it opened my eyes like holy shit i mean this is a whole nother avenue yeah. of writing you yeah know, where an yeah. artist can like take a guitar and tell a fucking story from yeah. start to finish exactly yeah and i i i grew up on that style uh because my parents were big on like bruce springsteen and uh-huh. dylan and my mom was always really into words so she'd like she'd throw down like a dylan cd and just be like, read these lyrics. And I would, I'd read the lyrics before I even knew any of the songs. Oh, know? wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, and was your mom, was your mom 
uh, pretty creative. Yeah, never had an outlet for it, right. but like, you know, was just one of those people, or is one of those people who is like independently, like she can be creative and it doesn't need to like have it celebrated. Yeah, you know, she, yeah. she gets the fulfillment out, out of the act of the creating. Of creating. Yeah, um, which is great. Uh, and so she always, I would say she she's the one who pushed me to to think about words the most, you know, by like that example I just said with just giving you the CD without the CD, giving you the booklet, yeah. <laughs> read the lyrics. So I, I don't know if I told you this. I, I lived in Chicago for like a year, okay. uh, which I, I loved Chicago. But at 25, when I moved there from Nashville, I felt like it was just a lot to take on. Right. And I was reading that you moved to Chicago when you were yeah. 16. Yeah, yeah. Which seems insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was insane. Uh, Tell me about that. Like, how'd you get by? I had a band in St. Louis, and it was going really well. And uh, we were on the radio, and I was young. I was like 15, 16 years old, and we were getting on the radio, and there were some record deal offers and all this stuff. Um, but... I felt like creatively frustrated. Like I, it was like going from like my mom's house and then, you know, my parents were like, look, you can go explore if you want. So I did. And I was like, I, the closest big city to St. Louis is Chicago. So I went out to Chicago and I stayed with relatives. Uh, that lasted a minute. And then I found myself at the Tokyo Hotel. I don't know if you ever know this place down in Belmont and Clark. I don't know if it's still there. Found myself in the Tokyo Hotel for a very long time. Uh, and during that period, I kind of had a realization of who I was, what I what I was into, and, and it wasn't the music that I was doing in St. Louis. So I kind of quickly disbanded that. Scenario. What was the what was the music you were doing in St. Louis compared to sort uh, of this? Well, so I was doing stuff that was like very folk driven. Um, more in the vein of like if you merged like uh bob dylan with this band called the cowboy junkies okay. that that i don't know if they're still around but they were this amazing band from toronto that um has a cover sweet jane that is like the best cover of a song ever but um kind of experimental folk is what really what it was uh and and there was something about it that just didn't feel like me at the time um and I didn't realize that until I got to Chicago and I started going to clubs there and I like got into the, you know, there's the, the dance culture that was yeah. happening there and like the LGBTQ community with like, like those clubs and just experiencing stuff that was more, you know, um, letting loose and not thinking about like, you know, restrictions of like gender or, or who you are, or like what you're supposed to be, you know, you could just kind of just, find yourself in a, in, a, in a way. Um, and, and then I was exposed to a lot of house music and electronic music. And I'd never heard, I mean, St. Louis, that just is very sheltered as far. And this is like, kind of like when internet's emerging is when I was growing up. So you didn't have a lot of outlets to discover music, um, other than what was on the radio. So there was like a, just a plethora of new, new tones, new sounds. So I found myself liking a lot of electronic music. Um, so I started an electronic band down there where it was like just me and a singer and, you know, I programmed all the MPCs and just did a whole change of mm -hmm. lifestyle sonically is a sonic lifestyle change yeah, <laughs> yeah. from an acoustic guitar to an MPC at that okay. point. <laughs> 
And so that, that was like around like 16, 17. Yeah. 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 And so I did that. And then, um, I I went to about 18 years old. I decided to go to school, uh, cause I'd kind of fallen off the deep end with just having too much fun. And I went to that's the difference between Chicago and St. Louis. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. You're exposed to all the, all the fun. Um, so I went to Columbia college, uh, which is, uh, South Michigan Avenue across from the art Institute. What you major in there? I majored in music, jazz, okay. jazz, jazz. Yeah. So I went there for, I was planning on going there for four years. Uh, I went there for a year and, um, year two, I go in and my guitar teacher who played with Peggy Lee, Peggy Lee, is that her name? Beaver. I hope that's her name. Um, he's like, okay, we're gonna have a talk. Yeah. We gotta, you know, you gotta plan what you're going to do after, after college. And I'm like, well, man, I'm, I mean, I'm going to do music professionally and, get a record deal or a publishing deal or, you know, I'm going that route. He's like, Oh, he's like, okay, that's fine. But in reality, you need, we need to, you know, I think you being a teacher would be a good, so he's trying to prep me to be a teacher. And so that went by two months later, uh, I got a record deal. And so I walked in <laughs> and I said, I said, sorry, man, but, uh, I got I'm leaving school because I just got signed. And, and it was a lot of money too. That okay, I, yeah. I, I don't come from money. Right. So I was like, I told him the number. Yeah. And he was like, he thought I was lying. I'm like, no, man, like I'm done. And yeah. I got signed. How old were you then? 19? I was 19. 19? Yeah, I was Damn. 19 years old. Yeah. And I mean, I got a lot of money at the time for a 19 year old. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, Butch Vig, who, okay. He produced Nevermind. He produced Smashing Pumpkins, Simon's Dream. Mm-hmm. Legendary producer yeah damn uh had a studio in madison wisconsin and he, he had a band called garbage i don't know if you've heard of this band they're from the 90s uh so anyways he's a legend right uh he had a studio called uh smart studios in madison wisconsin so i got my record deal and i was like i want to make cut the record there and it was kind of a private studio but um butch took a liking to me and the singer and was like you guys can you guys are more than welcome and we went there and I would say that that training ground between the intelligence that he gave us towards like music making, um, in the studio, that was kind of like the training ground to developing like, Oh wow, this is like, I, at that point I didn't realize what you could do in a studio, you know, yeah. cause I, you know, I had never had that access before. And then I started to see this studio as an instrument for the first time. And, uh, and so, yeah, we camped out there for three months and made this amazing record. Yeah. Um, and so before then, so when they're signing you at 19, are they signing you on your songwriting or what, what, what specific, like, what was your, what would you say, like, was your talent at that point in time? Um, I would say, uh, well, so this guy, Rob Cavallo, another big producer, uh, he signed me. Yeah. Um, he, he was the head of Hollywood records, which at the time had like Miley Cyrus when she was called the other name, I forget. Yeah. Uh, uh, Hannah, Hannah Montana. Montana. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Hollywood records owned by Disney. Uh, so I was like, Oh wow, I'm signing to Disney records. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, he, he was a producer, right? So at that point he did all the green day and all that kind of, thing. he was a major producer. And so when he got the demos, what he saw was the songwriting and the production is what right. he signed us on. And, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was doing it all in our apartment, but he really took a liking to the production. Cause I, like I said, I traded the acoustic for the MPC, but I didn't really know what I was doing. So I was doing, I was like listening to hip hop and then, but doing it over a kind of, you know, music that wasn't hip hop. Right. You know, I was taking the hip hop production approach and applying it to 
not hip hop, you know? And I think me just doing that just because that's what I liked and him hearing it going, this sounds exotic or something interesting, you know? So that's what he signed us. He signed us on because to back up a couple steps, uh, I learned the MPC uh, at Chicago Tracks um, on a uh, R. Kelly Aaliyah session. That's how I learned it. I don't want to talk too much about R. Kelly because yeah, yeah, he's no. a bad vibe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like one thing I will, I'm proud to say is I got to meet Aaliyah. Like, yeah, like because yeah. to me she's like, you know. Tell me about the first time you met. Was it there where you met Kanye yeah, West? It's Chicago Tracks. It was there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about that story. You told me that one time. And it was, yeah. It was uh, well, there's a, there's a couple interesting Kanye stuff. But um, I was, so my first record I was, I put out under my, my own name, Lawrence Rothman. Uh, the Book of Law was supposed to be on good music. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shay Pope, who I love dearly, was uh, the head of, head of good music at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, he, uh, he basically, I mean, we were, I was like signed, like the whole thing was going down and then, um, some reshuffling happened with good. And then my manager like pulled out or whatever. So I was like, I was so bummed because at that point in time, I was a big Kanye fan. Yeah. I really respected him with his breakthroughs of all sorts of Sonic delight, you know, yeah. from, you know, from the beginning, from his first record, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this is before Kanye was a rapper. Right. Um, so he had went to Columbia College, I think, for like a second. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was an intern at Chicago Tracks. And so he came to the studio and uh, uh, my internship was through Columbia. And so since I was a Columbia kid, he's like, I want a kid. So uh, I, you know, yeah, I went in there and we were like, we made the craziest. And that that was around the time I was figuring out the MPC, and he was on an ASR10, which is like an Insonic sampler. So then I got to learn that as well. And uh, yeah, man, it was just like kind of like a, um, I would say it was like a boot camp for production. Uh, during I, I was only hanging around maybe Kanye like a month or two during that time. Mm-hmm. It was like a boot camp of this is how you produce, produce. you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And nowadays, would you consider yourself more of a producer or an artist? Uh, I look at the two things for me as intertwined. Um, I don't, like I said, like I would say like my, my breakthroughs with, with like producing was like through the eyes of somebody like a Kanye, right. Um, who is a producer artist, you know? So I always look at it as kind of like a hand in hand. And like another session that I, that I had early on at the same studio was was a Smashing Pumpkins one with Billy Corgan. Yeah. And Billy Corgan is a producer of his own records, you know? So I always looked at it as like, oh, that's what you do. If you, you know, you produce your own records, yeah. Records, you know? So I look at it as kind of like a, and then as I've gotten a little bit older, it's like I've gotten into producing other people's work, you know, um, which is something I didn't like to do. Like, let's say like five years ago, you know? But as of like the last three years, I've really gotten enjoyed that. What's how does your creative process change when you're producing your own records versus producing in, another artist's? Um, it doesn't. It doesn't. No, same it doesn't. approach. Same approach. I would say the only difference is on my own records. I think I would like to have a producer. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't have that luxury yeah. um, because I think I would drive a producer nuts. 
Right. I, I think I, you know, I'd make a lot of enemies. Uh, yeah. I'm just a little too annoying in that uh-huh. way on my own. Well, you've, work. you've, you've mentioned you're a, a bit of a control freak. Yeah. With my own work, with not with own, other people's yeah. work. Other people's work, it's, it's got to breathe. Yeah. You know, it's got to feel like they, like their own skin, uh-huh. you know? Um, but with my own stuff, it's like, yeah, man, like I'll remaster a record five times. That's my own, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, where do you think that helps versus hinders you? It's my Achilles heel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it sucks. Yeah. I shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> I absolutely should not be producing myself. Okay. Yeah, but I just haven't, ha- I haven't found the scenario where, you know, so I can let somebody in and it actually work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, would it just take like a special kind of producer, you think? I think so. I think it's more of like a, somebody who would, who I could, who could oversee it. Yeah. You know, like on my first record that I did, uh, The Book of Law, I, I had, I made three records uh, in Interscope at the time in downtown, which was like the label that they were like, you got to figure this out. Like, this is like too much music and it's got like three different directions. And we got to meet with, uh, I got to meet up with Rick Rubin. Mm. And I played him the three different vibes and he sat like in his studio and he listened to the three different vibes and he was like, go with this. This is the vibe. It's the vibe. Uh, And it had this song called Wolves Still Cry, which is a song I really love. Yeah, I love Uh, that song. So it had that song. That was kind of like the launch of like, okay, that's the vibe I should go. And he helped me sort out my mind. How do you describe that vibe? Uh, it's like, for me personally, it's like if you took like William Blake and mm. mixed it up with like Brian Ferry and David Bowie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what I wanted to do. And Rick, uh, when he was, when we showed him the three vibes, he recognized that he's like, oh, this is kind of like, you know, like a William Blake type of painting. But if yeah. David Bowie, Bowie was a singer, I'm like, okay, that's what I actually am trying to do. Um, and so that, so then that group of songs was, ended up being the record, you know, and that, that was to me, it's like, I, he, I should be crediting him as a producer. Cause that's kind of all I need. I just need somebody to go like those 10 songs, go finish those. Yeah. Cause I find myself recording too many songs. Okay. You so know? you might record like if you might record 30 and keep. 10. Oh yeah. Okay. Easily. Like this record that's coming out next year, I record 32 songs, you know, and, okay. but there's only like 12 on the record and I could have saved myself some time and money. Yeah. If I just had Rick Rubin. But do you have, <laughs> but do you have to record the 32 to like yeah, get to the probably, 12? Yeah. Probably. Probably. Yeah. What's the brilliance in Rick Rubin? Is it just his taste? We interrupt this broadcast to bring to you a message from one of our lovely patrons here at Greenland. One of my favorite writers of all time is Hunter S. Thompson. He was played by Johnny Depp in the book turned film, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, The film got a lot of people interested in psychedelics. It also freaked a lot of people out too. Take the opening line. Suddenly there was a terrible roar all around us and the sky was full of what looked like huge bats. Psychedelics, when abused, can be this. A scary trip, they can be a sky full of bats, but when taken in sub-hallucinogenic doses, they can enhance your creativity. Schedule 35 is one of the most trusted psilocybin brands among creatives in North America. Now they got micro doses, which is what I like to take when I'm feeling like I'm in a creative rut. If you're into seeing bats, you can use a super dose. Also have the lover's dose if you're feeling frisky. If you say fuck the doses and you just want 
chocolate. They also got psilocybin chocolate. Today, Schedule 35 is offering Dreamland listeners, that's you, 15% off your first order with discount code DREAMLAND at checkout. If you want to claim that, just head over to Schedule35.co and use discount code DREAMLAND at checkout. Let's get back to the show. Uh, I think I think Rick Rubin does two things for people. I think, well, his taste is impeccable. Um, and I think for the right artist, uh, that works really well. To have somebody whose taste is so good and who, who can read through the bullshit, mm-hmm. like can tell when it's like you're catering or you're doing a song or an idea because of something that's, that's like an audience you're doing it for an audience or you're doing it you're not doing it for yourself like you can kind of see through the the bullshit i think you know and go like that that song is really you mm-hmm. you know it represents you and i think that that's where a guy like that shines you know being able to like kind of maybe see where some where an artist not necessarily phoning it in but is maybe doing it uh to appease like an outside audience or yeah i think you can see like when an artist is doing a song and, and doing it like from their head and not their heart. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, is there a place on an album for both like sort of head music and heart music or should it just all come from the heart in your opinion? I think it should all come from the heart. And even, even in stuff that I don't like, you can tell when it might might be like, okay, I don't like that genre or I don't like that band or that record, but you can tell that like they mean it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and that I can respect. And sometimes I wish, a reviewer could see that right you know what i mean like it's like it might not be the, a good record but there's so much intention from the heart that it's worthy of a good review yeah it was honest yeah it was honest yeah, it came yeah. from an honest place yeah, yeah yeah what's an example of a song that maybe isn't super well received but when you hear it you're like that came from a honest vulnerable place well i would say would say uh can't think of a sp- specific song but that very first lana del rey record born to die mm-hmm. like a lot of people did not like it when it came out and when i when i listened to it for the first time i mean i was floored i yeah. was like you know even the stuff that was super pop on that record i mean i was floored it was just mm-hmm. immaculate from start to finish i couldn't understand why nobody and to me it's like lana del rey you could tell she went into that with intention of like, mm-hmm. this is, this is my guts. I'm going to spill it over this. And it wasn't like something where it was preconceived. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reviews and the reception of that was terrible when it came out. Well, you've, you've mentioned David Bowie and I'm, I'm a huge Bowie fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you, you two definitely have similarities in a lot of ways. Like what's specific to his career or music have you drawn inspiration from? The way he he curated his career uh, is something that I completely am in awe of. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it 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 he went from so many styles, but and it never felt like a put on. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, he could jump from the most experimental thing in Berlin, like his Berlin era. Mm-hmm. You know, with the Low album, where it's just just gorgeous experimental ambient music, mm-hmm. to then going into let's dance three years later you know what i mean yeah yeah um and 
though the let's dance era Bowie's considered like the least desirable or the lesser desirable like the cheesier Bowie or whatever I mean that's a genius song mm-hmm. like everything about it's classy it's a banger it's classic yeah. and mm-hmm. on every level from the lyric to the production to hit the way he looked you know mm-hmm. um and so he always did everything with class you know yeah and that's what I really, really, really am turned on to mm-hmm. by him is at every step of the way was classy. You yeah. Know? Um, and that's hard to do. When you watch him in interviews or even like footage of him on stage, mm-hmm. he seems so natural and like so um, nonchalant. Right. But do you think that those changes uh, in persona and, and, and genres in a lot of ways, do you think that was super intentional like do you think he was extremely strategic about that or did he just sort of allow like his interest to guide him that is what he did you think so yeah 100 yeah. um and that resonates with me like extreme like because i even my own music or just even my musical journey with the, this different bands i've been in um going back to that chicago story i always just go with like what I'm into. And I'm not, I'm not really thinking about, oh, I'm a rock musician. I need to stay rock or I'm an indie rock music. You know, I'm just sort of like, I don't know. I'm into this right now and I want to explore that. And then the moment I'm not into it anymore and I want to explore something else, I allow myself to do that. And if you look at like some of the great painters, right, that's what they did. Their, their styles morphed through the decades that they were around, you know, and they weren't thinking about rules of like, oh, I have an audience that likes this and I need to stick to country music or whatever. You know I mean? They're just following their muse, you know? Yeah. Um, Bowie definitely never, it was never like, oh, this is in style. I'm going to do that. You know, it was like, he was just into that. Now he's hanging at, he's hit, hanging at studio 54 with uh, Nile Rogers and all that. And he's like, I'm into this now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then he would do it and he would do it immaculate. You know what yeah. I mean? Kind of like, you know, even like Madonna at one point was kind of like that in right. Prince. And, you know, I think some of the greats, have that in them yeah. you know um and then rules get kind of put on people that i think are dictated by their surroundings you know the press sometimes like boxes you in yeah but um this day and age with dsps and all the streaming how on earth how on earth is it possible for an artist to write inside of one genre it's impossible mm-hmm. like your playlist will go from rap to spoken word to country to rock to heavy metal to indie i mean everybody you know you just put together whatever you're in the mood you know so as an artist to stay in a one little box is like near impossible you know yeah. um and i just think genres are silly like yeah. what is the point mm-hmm. you know i mean them ha- having genres to like choose from is interesting but like having to stick to a genre as an artist i think is is a disservice to yourself and the listener you know because you should turn the listener and your audience onto stuff that you're into, mm-hmm. you know? But I, I mean, I guess also the, the counter argument to that is you will naturally lose a, a portion of your listenership. Right, too. right. I mean, it's like when that story about when um, Bob Dylan, I think it was- Went electric. Yeah, the Newport yeah. Festival, yeah. was that it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, was it Seeger who was going to like cut his um, power chords yeah, to his guitar? Yeah. It takes and, balls, you know? Well, right. And then you think about that, like if that never happened, there'd be no Beatles. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like, that's when you think about, you now you flip to now. It's like, if, if people don't do that now, then there'll be no 
whatever's mm-hmm. the next thing. Mm-hmm. You know? But do you think there's a place also for an artist to just do their, their one thing really well and like continue to do it? Absolutely. hundred percent. Like yeah. Willie Nelson's a prime example. Yeah. Like Willie, though he floats a little bit into jazz and a little bit into world music. Sometimes it's got that Willie sound, right? Um, that and Bowie does too, even when he would float around. And I think what, what the thread that goes through all of that, when, when a, when an artist d- does float around a different genre is their voice. Yeah. Right? Their voice, their voice ties it all together. Mm-hmm. So I'm all for, you know, somebody who shouldn't be putting an 808 in their music, put it in because the voice is what kind of ties it. And if it comes naturally to you to stick in one lane mm-hmm. then do that, but if it doesn't, don't force yourself. And I think a lot of people force themselves to stay in that lane. And then those records that they put out kind of become like sour. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, one, one artist, I want to compare him to like Willie Nelson, but like cigarettes after sex, right. I'm a huge fan of that band, but mm. also it's almost like every song I hear sounds kind of like the previous song. Right. Right. But I also, yeah. I'm kind of like, sometimes I'm like, are you even, are you challenging yourself artistically? Right. Right. But then other times I'm like, no, I like, I really like that. You're just kind of committed to doing your thing really well. Right. Right. Um, and I mean, that's what I loved about like, like the band Mazzy star. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't want to hear Mazzy star do anything different. No, you know same, what I mean? Same, but, yeah. you know, so I, but I think that that's what Mazzy star, like that, those group of individuals, I think that's just, they were razor locked on mm-hmm. that. And that that's just what they were feeling where like someone like Bowie, if he would have stayed in one lane, I don't think he would be a, he would have been an icon. No, I don't Cause think it wasn't so natural. It wasn't authentic to his personality. Do you think that's the key to building a, you know, multi decade long career is just having that ability to explore. Oh yeah. It's the shock and awe. Yeah. You know what I mean? As long as it's, as long as it's authentic, authentic, if it's not authentic, then it, it nosedives. Right. Yeah. You know, but, um, my wife directed a lot of Bowie music videos. Really? Um, yeah. So like when my daughter was born, Bowie sent flowers to her. That was like, your first flowers are from David Bowie. (laughs) Uh, but, so later, before Bowie passed, uh, she did like some of the later videos. She did some of the 90s videos and then she did uh, Stars Are Out Tonight and uh, Next Day, like which was from like the very end mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. when he was going to pass. And so she then, worked, she worked directly with him. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was, I mean, he's been at my house. He's been wow. in my studio. Um, I mean, when you see an interview with him, he just oozes class. Is that how he was in person? Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, just completely a gentleman. Um, and one funny story about that experience is uh, another thing that I respect about some of these OGs is like they negotiate themselves. Like there's no people. Like there's no like, oh, my manager's gonna figure that out. Or yeah. no, 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 no. Bowie was in my kitchen <laughs> with my wife. So my wife's the video director, but she's also a photographer. Yeah. And uh, Bowie wanted photographs. Uh, taken on on set that he could use. And so in the kitchen, he's negotiating her fee for the photos that she would, because, you know, she gets a director's fee and a photo fee on set. He was negotiating the fee and Floria's, my wife, Floria, has never, ever experienced that before. The artist went on. So going down to my kitchen was this whole negotiation about the price of, so what are you going to charge me for the, you know, per photo, like a whole thing. And she didn't know what to say. And then during that, my dog, my beagle, I have like a bar uh, and then there's like where the, uh, there's like a bar and then there's like the kitchen area where the stove yeah. is. My beagle jumped 
I have no idea what possessed her. Ne she's never done it again. Jumped from the bar onto Bowie. And like he dropped his coffee and like caused like a whole mess. And then he's like, okay, we'll, we'll deal with this later. You know, like this, it, it was, it, it was dead at that point. But, yeah. but, and my wife was like, thank God the dog did that. Cause I, she was like, who, who won, who won, who got the rate they wanted with your, your wife or Bowie? Uh, you know, I don't know. I need to ask that. You gotta ask I'm yeah. actually curious about that, but I thought it was just so funny that he was like, yeah. And then, you know, he, he told her, uh, that yeah, like Mick Jagger schooled all those dudes on like you run your own business, mm -hmm. like you don't let the other yeah. people. And so yeah, he had no manager, man. Yeah. Do you do you feel like <laughs> you take that same approach? Well, no, yeah. So yeah, I think that's what I was getting at. Yeah. I like I like the the hands on yeah approach to everything. You yeah. Know? Um, so do you have a do you have a manager? Or would you consider yourself like the the manager your manager? Yeah, like with my with 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 my career, I I've got a scenario where um i've got kind of two i've got like a a uh, a an assistant i would say who but i don't even call call her that she's just like my homie you know and and she's my manager right you know what i mean but we're like running it together and it's it's under the umbrella of my record company you know um because i i learned after my last experiences being on so many major labels that like i can't i can't be on these labels yeah I can't be making these records and then they own the masters, mm -hmm. you know, it just doesn't work for me. I, the independent approach of like the artist controls their master mm -hmm. and like John Prine, they like that model is right. for me, the model that resonates. Yeah. You know, that, I mean, again, with David Bowie, like Bowie bonds, do you yeah, remember when exactly. he did that? Yeah. yeah. Even like, his, even the music uh, that came out in the last 20 years of his career was all his own label. Yeah. You know, um, and yeah, it's just like, I understand both sides of it. Mm -hmm. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, good friend of mine, Jason Isabel too. He like, he's got his own label. Like mm -hmm. these artists, I feel like they have their own label as you, if you're in it for the long haul, it's just going to be a better right. outcome. Yeah. I feel like that's something honestly, like creatives in general just struggle with. Yeah. I, uh, we, I was just talking about this before you with uh, Brian Wooden, who's an amazing uh, graffiti artist, and he he he's still like learning that aspect of it. Like, uh -huh. how do you you almost have to view yourself as like creative hyphen entrepreneur? Well, <laughs> in, in this yeah. day and age, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like school needs to kind of reshuffle. Like my my daughter's going to Berkeley in California for for music or for a film film. Okay, and they actually start to teach that kind of thing. Like the, I mean, and it's a weird hat to have to wear the business hat mm -hmm. the entrepreneur hat and the artist hat but a lot of courses now at her school where she's going is like how do you navigate in today's time as an artist you yeah. kind of have to be both yeah you know and going back to hip-hop it's like you know those folks are like the kings and queens yeah. of that you yeah. know they're always like entrepreneurs artists mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. mixing it together and and, and working you know and yeah. it being like great art, but smart business moves. I feel like I kind of got that education though. Just like I started as a freelancer, you right? Know? So I would literally write as a freelancer, and you pretty quickly when you're like negotiating your own rates, you're like, "Damn, like I need to get away from the kind of trading hour for money to right. like quoting by the project, right. and then um, kind of going up from there." Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, you mentioned your your daughter goes to Berkeley. What 
how do you, have you like intentionally tried to raise like a pretty creative kid or did it just kind of happen naturally through osmosis? Happened naturally. Uh, she, I mean, she's been on film sets since she was literally six months old. Um, and you know, been on tours and stuff since she was like two months old. And so she saw both music and film and she chose film, which I was happy about, you know? Um, and, but it was never forced. It was just sort of like, she just drew herself to it, picked up a camera, started making movies, started taking photos. And it was great because I gave her piano lessons Mm -hmm. and she took that till she was like 14 and is a great piano player. But it's like, no, film is my thing. I'm like, cool. Hell yeah. 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 How did you, how did you meet your wife? Uh, I met her, uh, my very first video shoot I ever did in Prague. In Prague. In Prague. Uh, she was the video director and, um, well, it was the first time I left the country. Actually, I was 24 years old. Damn. I I never left the country. I never went to Canada at that point. Went to Prague, got there, landed, uh, Gloria showed up. She, she was chosen to be the director. We chose her and like she got on set and there was just like this thing. I was like looking at her like, oh my God, she's like my dream mm-hmm. wife. And uh, and we, uh, after the video shoot was done the next day, we did a walk throughout the city of Prague, which is incredible. If you've not been, it's an incredible I've looking been. city. I really want to go there. Incredible city. But we walked the whole thing at, at night and I knew my way back to the hotel, but I intentionally got us lost because yeah. I was like, I want this to keep going and going and going. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, then we got back to the hotel and there was like a thing there, Yeah, you know, nothing happened, but there was like a thing. And then um, a month later was the great New York blackout. I don't know if you know about this. <laughs> yeah, I've heard about 2004 it. 2004 or three, no, 2003, the whole city went black and I was in town playing a show and we had arranged for me to go to her apartment. And uh, so it was like the afternoon and I'm like getting ready for my show. And I'm like, okay, cool, you come to the show. And then she couldn't get, she couldn't make the show because she was doing a shoot. I'm like, I'll, I'll come and hook up afterwards. Well, then all of a sudden the whole city went black. God damn. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. Was it scary as shit? It was, I was at the Gramercy Park Hotel uh, and she lived in the financial district. So that's oh, a hype, right? Yeah. And I'm literally in my hotel room getting a haircut and it's about to get to be night. So it's like dusk mm-hmm. and then everything went out. And I was like, this is weird. Like, but we couldn't figure it out for a second. Nobody could figure it out yeah. for a second. Nobody could communicate. <laughs> you had no Ooh. phone, you had nothing, right? And then it was slowly started to realize, okay, this whole city is black. Yeah. And, uh, and it's I'll, not people, like people can't like put their flashlight on. No, on their phone. And you, yeah, yeah. You did, yeah. You, well, back then phones didn't have flashlights, yeah, yeah. right? And then also, who's carrying a flashlight when you're out of town? You know, I was a little bit freaked, but I was like, I'm just going to walk to her house. But you know, there's no map situation. There's no, you know, but I, I kind of knew, you know, and I would ask people on the way. So I walked from Gramercy Park, all the financial district as it got dark and the whole city was, I mean, it was crazy. And people were singing redemption song and fire and, you know, in trash cans and, it looked like the apocalypse. Like some Mad Max shit. Yeah, it was crazy. It was it was crazy. And then I finally got to her place, and of course, it's a it's a electronic buzzer situation. So I couldn't buzz to get in. So I had to wait for somebody to actually come down and open the door uh-huh. randomly. Finally, somebody did, and then the elevator was out, and she was like on the like 
28th floor or something crazy. So I had to go all the way. <laughs> I got to her. I'm like, if she's not here, I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. And not, You're and like she, sweaty as hell. And then there she was. Uh, and then that, uh, that was, that was the night. Yeah. That we felt yeah. in love. Okay. Yeah. That was, yeah, that, was yeah. that, that sealed the deal, the, the yeah. New York blackout. You know, I know you two have worked closely, uh, creatively. Like, is that, sometimes I feel like that can go one or one of two ways. It can go really well, or, you know, it can be a little bit sticky, like trying to, like when you're in a relationship with someone and you're also collaborating on something creative, how do, how do you make that be successful? Um, it's interesting with us. I mean, I know I drive her nuts when we were, we've done 23 music videos together. Um, and, and we've done like, I don't know how many photo shoots. Mm -hmm. Um, basically I think every photo I've ever taken aside from like two shoots that been with her. Um, so she's like, you know, she's like, you're the only one who I have to do like multi, I, cause I'm a little bit, I, I, I approach my video making and photograph making as my, record making I want to do like 30 versions of everything and she's like I don't do that you know but with you I'm going to do that you know but luckily it's there's never been a major meltdown right. aside from like I, I do drive her and her editor nuts because yeah. she, she's she's a very renowned music video director right and uh you know no artist sits in the room with her and like helps or yeah. doesn't and then I'd want to pop in and, you know, so I, I know I drove them nuts a little bit with that, but you know, I did learn a lot because I, I have directed now because of all of that, my own music videos. Yeah. So like, um, that song I was mentioning earlier, Wolf Still Cry, like I, I, that was my first video I ever directed. And, uh, I mean, it would have been possible if it wasn't learning from Floria, mm -hmm. you know, um, and it really got my interest in video making, you know, yeah. and. I love doing it. You know, I just don't have the time to do it, but yeah. like that medium, um, luckily it's still alive because it's such a great medium to express. I mean, when, I don't know about you, but when I hear music, I see things, I see scenes, I see visual mm -hmm. and music videos cater to that in a way that is always surprising. Yeah. You know, something yeah. that you might think the video is going to be about. Like there was a great video by Tyler Childers that just came out. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. so good. It's so good. And like I heard that song before the video. I never would have expected that video. No, no, You no. know what I mean? But wow, that video made the song even more powerful. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And my wife did um, Sam Smith's Unholy. Mm -hmm. And I remember when the song came through, I was like, okay, that's, this is before it was out. I was like, okay, that's a number one. Right. You definitely better do that video. She's like, all right, I'll do it. And she liked it, but she, she doesn't have a lot of time to do music videos um, these days. And she's like, okay, I'm going to do it. And to me, the video also in that instance, like made the song even more powerful, like to see that it was about this like shady dude. And, yeah. you know, um, so yeah, I just think music videos are still very relevant and important, mm -hmm. you know, um, in the process of, of, of the narrative aspect of, of what songs are going back to that lyric thing you know and just showing the 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 audience like this is what the heart and soul of this especially when when the artist uh is directing the video like you're in a lot of ways getting to see like what was going on in the artist's head yeah you totally. know when they made the song um pretty special but yeah we're gonna take a cereal break cereal break <laughs> um all right and then we'll uh i have, I have a couple more questions for you. so 
once you start freaking me out with like, oh, well, this will do this to you, and I get yeah. a paranoid. So I always read the back, and that one had the least amount of amount shit of... in it. Yeah. <laughs> what's your What's your diet look like? It's my diet's kind of fucked up. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had a little bit of a problem with like. Uh, it, it was it was an accidental eating disorder where it was like um, getting into like health culture. I mean, this is to me an actual slight problem that's not really addressed is health, health being healthy and like that health culture of like um, taking supplements or, or working out or, or like that kind of stuff. Like uh, if it's not done with a dietitian, it can kind of take you down a bad path so i kind of went down to the bad path because i wasn't with a dietitian that i was doing shit that just like was not actually good for you like, you think you're being healthy but you're not you know so it kind of fucked me up put me in the hospital yeah and like so, you weren't you weren't eating enough I, yeah i just wasn't eating the right yeah i was i was like almost like um starved of what my body needed mm. you know uh, thinking i was feeding my body the right nutrients yeah. and, I, and I wasn't so um it really tore me up like my stomach and um and then after that I kind of had to get back on with, with the dietitian to figure out like okay you don't starve yourself you don't eat nuts all day yeah. you got to like balance it you know and I was doing like the intermediate fasting like all that stuff that everybody promotes and like it's if it's not done properly it's deadly yeah it's really I mean yeah people don't talk about that enough I mean yeah I've done that before too, where I get on this, uh, kind of fasting kick where it's like, right. you know, but all the, but what they don't tell you is like, oh, if you're right. working out, <laughs> if you're working out with it, you know, you can easily get into a place where you're not getting nearly enough calories and not at all, especially you, if you're working out. Yeah. You know? And you can get dehydrated really mm -hmm. easily, you know, mm -hmm. cause you don't realize how much water you get from food. Yeah. I wrote a song about all this called LAX okay. and it's funny, I, I landed actually at LAX and I was like, oh, I want to write this song about laxatives <laughs> called Lax, right? Weirdly, I'm at LAX, it's not even dawning on me at that very moment. Mm -hmm. So I text my friend who I like to write with a lot. I'm like, man, I want to write this song called Lax. That's what I thought the text said. Yeah. He's like, oh my God, nobody's written Lax. Well, he's thinking LAX. I'm mm -hmm. thinking Lax. He's like, nobody's written Lax before. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I know. I, I thought he'd think it was weird, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. It'd be amazing. He's like, man, that's genius. Let's do, let's do Lax, you know. But he's thinking LAX. And then you all show up. Yeah. And then he he, he sends me his. I, I start. He's like, okay, what we do is I'll write, and then he'll write, and then we compare like what we came up with. Oh, that's how you all write? That's when I, yeah, when I write this particular dude, Dave. Okay. Dave Gibson, who is one of my favorite guys to and write. You won't with. even share like chord progressions or anything. It's no, just like, okay. Okay, it's like, here's the theme. You go write a version of the song. I'm gonna go write a version and then we can compare notes. That's fun. Yeah, and and see what beats it or combine or whatever, you know? So sometimes you'll, you it, you might just choose like, okay, like your song just slaps more than mine. We're exactly. Just gonna go with that. But I like my verse better. I'm okay. gonna take your chorus. Damn. Or, you know what I mean? So, my friend Dave Gibson and Johnny Newman, the two dudes that who I write with all the time. Yeah. Uh, that's how we do. That's how we do it. And I love it. Because um, I feel like you get, you really get an interesting song happening. Mm -hmm. You know? Because I'm always shocked sometimes when the shit's so, like, wow. In this case, this is what happened, mm -hmm. right? So, he wrote LAX. 
I wrote Wax, <laughs> Waxative song. <laughs> and we hook up at my studio. He's like, all right, man. He's like, oh my God, this is like one of my favorite things that we've ever done, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, let, let me hear your version. Yeah. And he starts playing it. And I'm like, oh my God, man. He thought I was saying like an LAX, like your ex from LA. Dog, I was saying that. I was saying that. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time I'm talking about an eating disorder. And uh, so we combined the two together. Cause it, and I was like, it was funny because in mine, I had, I had said like, I don't want to be uh, in so many words, like in a more poetic way, but I don't want to be like, you know, the friend or the husband or the father who died <laughs> because I, you know, I'm eating, like caring about the way I look more than being around. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it's like, I'm I, at that point, I'd be your ex-husband and your ex-dad and your ex-friend because I'd be dead. Right. <sighs> uh, so I wrote that in my song my version and then he wrote like about a relationship mm -hmm. and i was like this is hilarious so put them together <laughs> it's like one of my favorite is songs is the song out no it's coming out okay. it's coming out for my re my next record so it made January. the record yeah 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 Fuck yeah it was, yeah yeah made it. it was like i mean this is hysterical that we like he's like i never in a million years thought that's what you're talking about i was like yeah man like i never would i was just funny how my brain didn't go to lax you know because typically my brain goes to stuff like that. That didn't even dawn on me. It's funny how like sometimes um, those communication errors or like those fuck ups can end up creating the best art. Oh yeah. Um, or like moments. I was I was listening to something today, and apparently when um, um, Armstrong like landed on the moon, he said one small step for a man. Oh. Yeah. And then there was a there was a glitch uh -huh. at the A, like mm -hmm. a some like the TV went out or some shit or the signal went out, and so it ended up being like four man, four man. Wow, isn't that wild? So he was saying for a man, for he was yeah, meaning himself. Yeah, one small step for a man, oh, one giant wow. leap for that, mankind. That's crazy. But A like got lost in that signal, and it hit and it slaps. It hits way harder, you know, without the A. Okay, that's maybe one of those rare moments I believe in aliens. Yeah. They're like, nope, <laughs> for man. Yeah, for man. <laughs> crazy. That's crazy. I heard that. I was like, damn, I'm glad glad they fucked that up because A-man doesn't, it doesn't hit no, as hard. No, no it doesn't. No. no. No, not at all. Uh, no. <laughs> no like, people, that, that shit's not going on a t-shirt. No, you know? no, no. Um, okay, so then, you know, you've, you've scored films too. Yeah. Talk about like walk me through that process. I mean, are you are you literally like watching the film and then creating music off of it? Like, how do you how how does that process work? So I like to do it in two steps. The mm -hmm. first step I do is I'll I'll uh, open up the movie yeah. or the rough cut, right? Um, and I'll request for even scenes that are like um, undecided. You know, like if they're like on the fence about it, I'll be like, include those on a reel too. So I'll have like a, a reel of outtakes mm -hmm. and the major cut of the, whatever the, the scene is. I mean, whatever the, the film, the cut that stand, wherever they're at, yeah. right? In the process. And I'll just play my guitar or piano, just watching it, not thinking and just having my engineer just recording me. Oh. Right. And then I'll go and I'll do a guitar pass and I'll do a piano pass. And then um, when that's all done, I'll find the segments that I like just on piano and guitar or guitar. And then from there I start building, okay. you know, so like the piano might never ever exist again, but that was like the foundation of the mood or the, mm -hmm. 
or the cadence of how it was going to go. But now it might turn into a choir or that, or it might turn into a string thing or mm -hmm. something totally different or electronic, you know, but I have to have some sort of musical center mm -hmm. um, that's on a, just a regular instrument in order to then go hog wild with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to have like the foundation. You have right? to have the okay. foundation, but it also has to be something that is like my knee jerk mm -hmm. reaction. I feel like when I listen to the notes, of the producers and the directors like what their early notes are and, and if i listen to their temp track i strike out you strike out yeah, yeah. like the first round they're like no we don't like it like that we want you know they we want it like this because really the director and the producer they never really want it like their temp track yeah isn't um, that funny how yeah that they don't yeah. they actually don't want their temp track they yeah. want something that blows their mind like that's mm -hmm. something that's new you know so i always tell people uh, I have a lot of friends who are like, you know, musicians who get into scoring. I'm always like, just mute that temp track. Mm -hmm. Don't even have, don't even ever even listen to it, mm -hmm. you know, because um, it never works. And do you include like the, the uh, scenes that like might get cut just because there might be some sort of inspiration? Well, that yeah, there might be some sort of inspiration for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then funny enough, sometimes when I do that, I feel like the, the director, the producer, then they'll see the scene a little bit differently now. Right. And wow. then they might consider putting that in, you know? Yeah. Um, and like would, the music will suddenly change the scene. Yeah, yeah. 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 And a few people that I work with, they like that too, because, you know, music goes hand in hand with film, even if it's chill mm -hmm. from the chillest to the most like John Williams, Star Wars type of stuff. It really moves the viewer along mm -hmm. emotionally and subliminally more than the viewer even knows, right. you know what I mean? Um, and, 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 you know, like if you look at like some of the Trent Reznor stuff, which is perfect, right. Um, he'll just have like literally one note sometimes going on one sound, but if that was anything different than that, it would totally destroy the scene, you yeah. know? So it's a very delicate it is process, you know. One of the scariest movies I've ever seen is the The Witch. Right, yeah, and which is great. Song. A big reason it was so scary to me was just the fucking soundtrack. Yeah, soundtrack's I mean, amazing. It's fucked up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'd be watching that, and you just—I almost describe it when you're when you're watching that film. You just are like overwhelmed with a sense of dread. Yeah, you know. And yeah, a lot of it is the the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this there's this composer uh, Mika Levi, um, who to me is one of my favorite modern day uh, film composers she did like the jackie uh movie the jackie o movie and then she also did um under the skin jonathan glazier with um uh scarlett johansson yeah and that is a really good example of like i can't identify a single what those instruments are mm -hmm. they're so creative like she created instruments to do music yeah. for that you know what i mean it's like i don't even know what that is but it just is just works immaculate yeah. yeah 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 and that to me is like kind of the goal is like how do you reinvent the soundtrack the score to a film because we've all have heard strings and we've all have heard choirs and but what's that next plateau to go to and mika and there's people like her that i think i think are like redefining where a score can go mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. um and then, I mean, like with, with the turning, for example, when you're, I guess, submerging yourself in that process of like watching that film, creating that music, do you feel like that has an effect on your overall mood uh, for like 
weeks at a time as you're creating it or is it just kind of like water off a duck's back when you leave the studio you're fine uh no no i it, to me it's it's like it's like record making where um and like previously when i started my my solo project i would do alter egos i was like eight different people all me I would do eight different looks. Like I had a shaved head and tattoos. I was a woman. I was all these different looks. And it was, for me, it's like, it's the different aspects of oneself, right? We all have different versions of ourselves that we reveal to different, like I'm a different person I am right now than I am if I'm in front of my wife. I'm a different person from my wife than I am in front of somebody I'm producing. Different person from the production to my mother, right? We all have these different sides of ourselves and we all have a little bit of that feminine, masculine and in-between energy mm -hmm. in us. And so to me, I that was almost like a performance art version of like wearing your self on your sleeve. Like yeah. like actually, like this is the woman feeling of me. This is the, the sort of brute feeling of myself. Mm -hmm. And with soundtrack stuff and with scoring, uh, I would I, I would equate it to almost like how an actor has to get into a role. You know, you're in you live in the world now of of that film. Like your surroundings, the weather, the food that you eat is that world. And if you kind of like dip into the world and then dip out, uh, you can't do your best work. Right. You have to really submerge yourself yeah. into it. Not not method, but you have to submerge and just stay there in order to like get it all done. And then when it, once the, the artistic part of it is done and it's more the like manual labor part, then you can dip out. Yeah, then you're good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But while you're create, doing that creative part, you gotta really feel the texture yeah. and live in the texture of the universe in order, I think, to do your best work yeah. for that. I mean, and it's interesting too, you bring up actors, but I feel like actors almost, they can get lost in that character too. Right. Like, I don't know if you, um, or I'm sure you you saw the new Elvis movie, but right. uh, Austin Butler like apparently had a lot of difficulties like getting out of character. Right, um, right. There was like some clips I saw where he was even in interviews, kind of like acting right like Elvis, and didn't even realize. Which that to me is kind of terrifying. Like yeah, not being able yeah. to get out of this character, you almost become a a prisoner of your own creative making in a way right right which is yeah. fucking nuts yeah know? and you know i think as musicians too you can get trapped yeah. in that where you know you start you know when you do a tour and you, you do a live show it's almost like it's your birthday every night or it's yeah. new year's eve every night yeah. you know and if you do that too long mm -hmm. without sort of just regular reality mm -hmm. you can kind of get lost in this thing you know, that is much like when an actor is in a, in a film yeah. where you almost like go into full fucking like rock star mode. Yeah. Yeah. And you're kind of living in that. And then all of a sudden a few years might wear off and then you look around you and you're like, what the hell have I done? Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and, it, and it happens no matter how balanced of an individual you are. Yeah. It happens to everybody in that scenario, Every artist, but, yeah. but you have to like somehow, I mean, that's why I love this sort of new energy around, you know, checking in with people mm -hmm. checking in with their head and like, yeah. You how's know, your head space? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and because like when I started doing music, there was none of that. There was no like music cares, like offers, like yeah. help, you know, you know, and for like people who don't have any money, yeah. you know, there's like a lot of uh, uh, 
avenues these days mm-hmm. but when i first started be- doing music there was none of that and i just remember with like my first band with my brothers we were all young and like yeah we kind of like lost ourselves yeah. in the hoopla of 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 the it's your birthday every night mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um do you do you feel like like when you got that major record deal when you were 19 was it almost too much too soon i would say if i had to do it all over again i would have finished school mm-hmm. and then done a record deal okay. Yeah, I don't think there's any rush. And at that time, I thought, oh, like you gotta, you gotta just get out. I, I thought 19 was old. Yeah. I remember think, I literally remember thinking, oh my god, I'm gonna be 21 soon. That's you know? insane to me because <laughs> when you said 19, I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's- and then I remember after that record deal went sour, and I I started a band with my brothers. I was now like 22, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my god, I'm so old. Like nobody's gonna want to sign me, and like, what am I gonna do? I mean, I was just always in a rush, yeah. you know. And I think in hindsight, I needed that schooling. I think I would be a better musician today if I did, if I went to those four solid years of like discovering yourself, yeah. exploring like philosophy, exploring literature, exploring things outside of my yeah. chosen field, you know. Um, and and that's like even what I tell my daughter. I'm like, I don't care if you go to Berkeley and do philosophy the whole time and then go to AFI when you're done, yeah. you know, but the well-roundedness you need. I, I worry sometimes about um, artists or really just anyone in general who like, it's, it's like the entrepreneur who just reads business books, yeah, you know, exactly. and I'm like, that's not really going to make you better at business after no. like the third book. No, exactly. <laughs> you, know, you almost yeah. have to go to other areas and, and, and cause I think that's what creativity is in a lot of ways is it's linking to, uh, previously un unrelated ideas yeah and you can only experience that by like going out and like learning more and yeah and then and then you know it's like when you're in the music game it's it is a game yeah and if you don't have that round well-roundedness it's like you don't know how to navigate in it you can kind of get lost yeah you know how do you hear this is slightly unrelated question but just going back to how you can get kind of lost in the persona maybe on stage or like Mm -hmm. the for you where uh you know i would say like most days you probably like get what you want creatively mm-hmm. right how do you turn that off when it comes time to like go into like your relationships your friendships because i feel like that's yeah. something artists struggle with where yeah, that 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 has been luckily like my wife is my rock yeah. like and my daughter like i i think i would probably not be sitting here if it wasn't for the two of them. Um, because yeah, I've had always had a problem with turning that off. Yeah. I have a studio built in my house yeah. and so I have access. I mean, and it's a very elaborate studio. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen pictures. It yeah. Looks dope. I, mean, I have access to just create till like fall asleep. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I would find myself down there like way too long, mm-hmm. you know? And then it's like, but my family's upstairs and I don't see them because I'm yeah. just down here every day. What am I doing? You know, I'm like creating, like how much do I need to create? You know? And then I discovered transcendental meditation in like 2012, okay. um, through the David Lynch foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Lynch is like, you know, pretty renowned director mm-hmm. who I very much respect. And we went to a talk of his. And then after the talk, he said to everybody in the audience, anybody wants transcendental meditation, it's for free for you. It was 12 of us. It's for free for any of you 12. And I was like, okay, is she serious? And Florida's like, yeah. Okay. I'm like, all right, this is amazing. But we waited two years to do it. I have no idea why. So then finally, we need to do this TM stuff. And we called the David Lynch foundation. I'm like, they're never going to honor that. So we'll just pay whatever. They're like, oh no, 
you're at the top. No, you get it for free. And I'm like, this is hilarious. That's you know? crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and I learned TM and that changed my life. Like yeah. completely from, from that point forward, I wasn't this compulsive, like sitting in my studio for 14 hours a day. Yeah. You know, I, I was doing, I was accomplishing things in three hours that were taking me like 15 hours before, you know what I mean? And you do that every day. Yeah. And I do TM twice a day, 20 minutes a day. But morning and night. Morning and night since 2012. Yeah. And like, yeah. I, like it's almost like it's a healthy addiction mm -hmm. because it's like if a day goes by and I didn't do it, I get like, oh, fuck. Yeah, you feel out of sorts. Yeah, I feel out of sorts. I've been wanting to get into that. I've yeah. heard great things, but I've just never like. Yeah, there's a great stuff. teacher here in town, but I really suggest, I always tell everybody, just make the Mecca to LA, or next time you're in LA, just go do it at the David Lynch Foundation house because there's something about that property that I can't explain it, but they, the, I'll do like refreshes and I'll go there and I'll sit in a chair like this and I just go deep into that meditation and I'm like reset. Like I can now do it a lot more clearer and quicker when I get that reset. It's something about that energy of that house. Like, I don't know, but yeah, I've, I've sent so many people I know over there and like kicking and screaming like, Oh God, this is so stupid. I don't want to. And then they go people I've paid. I'm like, I'll just going to pay it. Yeah. You know, just, just go do, fucking do it. Just yeah. go fucking do it. It's going to change your life. And it's the one session, man, one 30 minutes with this lady, Lynn Kaplan. And everybody's like texting me, Holy shit, I, this is, why didn't I, I'm like, I know. Lynn Kaplan? Lynn Kaplan, David Lynch Foundation, man. Okay. That lady, I mean, I want her like protected in glass. Yeah, <laughs> damn. She is like, it just helps you with everything. Like it's beyond music creation. Yeah. It's like, just helps you with just everyday road rage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and like I said, when I don't do it, I yeah, I feel like, I'm sort of like tilting to the side a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Don't feel right. Damn. I'm going to, I want to do a class with her. Yeah. You got to do it. Yeah. And it's, and it's great because it's the type of thing you go and you do it. And if you don't like it, you just don't do it. Yeah. But nobody does not, not like yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't met a single person yet. <laughs> yeah. In 2007, you released a book, which I thought was, which I, I, I find to be really interesting because, and, and I don't know if you see this in the industry, but not a lot of people, like songwriters kind of stay in their, I don't even want to say lane because that makes it sound like you're not allowed to do multiple right, things, right. but there is a fundamental difference in songwriting and sitting down at a yeah. typewriter and, yeah. and really letting like words flow and kind of letting them have room to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. So it surprised me that you were able to, you wrote a novel, right? Yeah. 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 How, how was that? Pro, how did that process uh, change compared to like, how was it different from like songwriting? Well, if I could do it again, I would do it as much as possible. I have no idea how I was able to do it at the time. I was, it was almost like, I want to say I was possessed. I was so like razor, uh, like missile locked, razor sharp. Like I, like I just saw the whole thing. It was crazy. Like I saw the whole novel in my head and I sat down and over a course of like six months, I just, I had the most focus anything I think I've ever done and it's and I wrote it I wrote it in six months which is pretty quick that's very very yeah, quick yeah very quick yeah. and when I was done I was like I don't even know if this is any good or whatever and then I started sending it to editors and people that I trusted to just 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 read this is this is what what you know I know that there was like actual fundamental problems like grammatical pro and shit like that but I'm like just read it and tell me is the story any good yeah. and when I got 
the six people I sent to all back with a straight A. I was like, okay, it's a, it's it's cool enough to like move forward with, yeah. And um, and then yeah, and then I, I I put it out and I left. A, it was funny. I left a lot of the grammatical problems in it because the perspective of what it's about is written from a kid who's thirteen. Okay. So I'm like, if the kid is too perfect, yeah, like you got to give him a little bit of like he's not doing it right. Yeah, you yeah. Know what I, I mean, mean, it's it's uh, that's a brilliance in um uh catch in the rye yes exactly where, uh, i don't think there's like spelling but but the language is so stripped back and so dialed back yeah. that you believe that you're watching the world through like a 14 year old yeah yeah and, yeah and and that that's that's what i wanted to do like there's no spelling but mm -hmm. there's you know there's like weird run-on sentences yeah, and yeah, yeah. but I how, like, how, but how that's how a kid talks right you know and what i mean thinks. yeah that's how kid <laughs> thinks you know yeah. um and I was really inspired by, have you ever heard of JT Leroy? I'm not. Okay, JT Leroy is Laura Albert, who's a dear friend of mine, who's the actual real writer. Mm -hmm. But uh, look that story up. It's a crazy story. She she, she pretended to be a, I want to say she would pretend to be a boy, but might have been like a um, gender fluid person. I can't, yeah. I, I don't know actually the gender of what she was, but she pretended to be somebody else called JT Leroy and wrote, three novels under that alias yeah. and it blew up. Even a movie was made of one of the books. It blew up. And then once JT had to give interviews, she had her sister, her husband's sister go out in a suit, like a very peculiar looking and do all the interviews, do the press tours. And it went on for years and celebrities were falling in love with JT and Madonna was bringing JT on stage. And I mean, it just was a hoopla. Yeah. And then it was out at that, JT doesn't exist and it's this you know 40 year old woman called Laura Albert writing all this stuff and she got a lot of trouble yeah um, because I think there was an element of, of that JT had HIV and so she crossed a few lines I think right. but um but they're brilliant and that was really my inspiration to writing my I like I read those and I was like oh my god like I want to write something like that and I just took my childhood and just wrote it I yeah I just wrote it down basically just all these stories and uh and uh, yeah, if it wasn't for those books, I don't think I would have done it. But, you know, it was interesting how focused I was because now I've tried to do it again and I can't. I mean, the beauty in, in writing a song or a poem or, right. is uh, I don't want to say the dopamine hits uh, instant, but, you know, you can write a song or a poem in a day or an afternoon. Right, right. Do you think part of it's that like you had to wait so long to put the book out? Or do you think just like you had a book in you and it was ready to come out? I Yeah, I, I think... Well, and I tell everybody this, like anybody can be a musician or an actor or a writer, like is if you put your mind to it. Yeah. And so I felt like at that moment, I really put my energy to it yeah. and I could, you know, where these days, if I did put my energy to it, I probably could accomplish it again. But if you don't truly have that drive, then you're not going to do your moonlighting. Mm -hmm. and, and then I don't want to take up that space. I don't want to moonlight as an author. You're gonna do it. You're gonna, I want to do it, you know. And there's a lot of people that cross mediums, you know, and that that and it works. But I don't like when people moonlight. Right. You know, you either do it or don't. Mm -hmm. Don't like direct one movie and then go back to your music career. Like, go direct a bunch. Yeah. You know what I go mean? Go learn. Go learn. Yeah, yeah. 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 So. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing with like artist producers. Yeah. You know, um, if it, you know, if you're going to produce your records, like produce your records, but don't like produce a few songs and then bring in a producer to produce the rest and like you know just like commit commit to doing yeah it. commit to like that's 
that's what I'm doing, you know, then you can cross mediums and it's cool, you know? Um, and I mean, a lot of musicians and actors do that. And it, it always, people are always like, oh yeah, when an actor puts out a record, it's it's cheesy or whatever. But when a musician acts, it's okay. Right. And I think, well, I think it not always okay. Right. But the musicians who are successful actors, they really put their energy to it. Yeah. Like Chris Christopherson was like, I am an actor mm -hmm. and you believe it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Jared Leto. Jared Leto. Like, you know, I believe it. Yeah. I what believe was that it. film he did with Matthew McConaughey? Oh, so good. Dallas Buyers Club. Oh one of the best God. movies ever. He won an Oscar. It was incredible. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's what I'm saying. He, you know, 30 seconds to Mars, like, do I love the band? No, but do I believe it? Yeah. I mean, he, it, when you see him play in that band with his brother, you're like, yeah, they mean what they're doing. It's not my taste, but they mean what they're doing. And then his acting's off the charts too, you know? What's yeah. your, what's your creative Mount Everest? I have to say, I think I already got there. Yeah. Yeah. What is a sense of like, I just love what I do no matter how small or big, you know what I mean? Like, I don't care if I ever won a Grammy or an Oscar or anything like that, or if I got a platinum record and didn't, you know, type of thing. I'm so happy with like my day to day life of what I do creatively that I don't, if anything more comes to me, that's just part of the every day to day satisfaction of what's already happened. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I don't feel like, if any more or less comes to me, it would bug me. Right. You know, or, or I would celebrate. Yeah. You know, I've asked that question, I think 12 times. And that's the only, that, that, that's the only time that answer has been said. Yeah. I mean, cause when you said it, I was trying to think and I'm like, no, I, I think I really, I, I yeah. yeah. Like, I like where I'm at, you know, <laughs> I respect it, man. Yeah. I, yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. all right. I, I lied. We have, we have three more questions. Have you ever heard like rapid fire questions? They're just like quick. Yeah, yeah. see if I can do it. Yeah, I think you'll do great. <laughs> but uh, we're up in the ante. Uh, you're going to strike a match. I'm okay. going to ask a question. Right. And you got until the flame yeah, reaches your fingers. Okay, I love it. I got to try this at home. Yeah. All right. You ready? Yeah. Go. All right. Um, I want you to name your nine altars from the Book of Law. Okay. Alistair, Nantucket, Elizabeth, Kevin. Orion. Oh, you got fucking lucky. How many did you name? Five? I don't know. I, I, I think six or something I, like I, that. I named six. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Ne next yeah. question. Yeah. This time, hold it at like an angle a little okay. bit. Make it, make it a little harder. Right. Uh, can you rank your top five favorite Stanley Kubrick films based on the soundtrack? Yeah. Uh, Space Oddity. Clockwork Orange. Um, Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, full metal jacket. Bowery makes shit fucking matches. <laughs> Bowery's on my side. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. This one's this one's tough. I don't think you'll you'll be able to get it. All right. But, all right. I'll hold it like this. All right. Can you recite your favorite poem? Oh jeez. Why'd you have to do that? Oh, thank uh, you. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta pass. You gotta pass. I love poems too, man. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite poem, I don't even know if it would be considered a poem. It's the it's the uh called uh it's the Mark Twain Adam and Eve. You ever read that? No. Oh man. 
All right, I'll look it up. Yeah. Mark Twain, Adam and Eve. It's only like 70 pages. Uh -huh. To me, it reads like a poem because it's like 70 pages, but there's not much on the page. Yeah. That's a game changer. The game changer? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll the add Book it. of Eve is what it's called. The Book of Eve. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hey, I got yeah. a couple more things oh, yeah, for you. Yeah. So um, we get our guests, all our guests' gifts. Right. Um, the first one is a uh, martini from uh, Host Cocktails. It's right. like a pre-made cocktail. It's super right. dope. Um, they're based out of Chicago. Wow, amazing. And then uh, this one's from us. Uh, let's go ahead and grab that. Um, it's kind of timely. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. even with your story of your, your meat cute. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's awesome that is awesome from the Czech Republic holy shit that is crazy right away I was like what the fuck isn't that dope that is funny yeah wow wow that is insane but you guys know that <laughs> we knew some of it some not, of it. Okay. not all just, of it we yeah. knew that you're a big Kubrick in film, right, right, okay. film head you right. did not know the Prague the Prague story. yeah I mean that oh my god my wife's gonna Sometimes yeah. the magic happens. Sometimes like the saying. magic happens. <laughs> yeah, we can't take ownership for the problem. Damn, that's cool. Yeah. All right, right on. Yeah. Right on. Well, this was fun. Yeah, this yeah. was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you for taking yeah, it. Thank you. Well, folks, that wraps up another thrilling edition of Dreamland. Cole Schaefer and his team of creative misfits work their darn tails off each week to make this show possible. How do you compare your group with the Beatles? I don't know. How do you compare it with the Beatles? I don't compare it at all, you know. There's no point. Well, let's get right down to brass tacks. Do you think you're better than they are? Oh, oh what? You know, it's, it's, it's not the same group, so we just do what we want and they do what they want. And there's no point in going on comparing us. You can prefer us to them or them to us. It's just diplomatic, you see. Very diplomatic, and I